Thessalonians chapter 1. And we're going to get back into our study through this epistle. We haven't been here in, I think, a month at least, maybe even a little bit longer for various reasons. And whatever the case may be, we're getting back into it here tonight. I'm probably going to need to do just a little refreshing, reminding of what we've talked about through this first chapter. We're down in verses 11 and 12, and these are our text verses, which will be in these verses maybe a couple of weeks. And we actually started these verses the last time we were in this passage, and so I want to do just a little rehearsing of what we've talked about to give us context. Let me read these two verses first. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in Him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. When we started this epistle, this second letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, we We started by highlighting Paul's greeting to them, and we made note of the fact that they were, first of all, a church that Paul was very proud of. And you see by the language given in verses 3 and 4, Paul says, we are bound to thank God always for you. Then in verse 4, he says, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God. And he says that we give thanks to the Lord, we're bound to give thanks to the Lord, we're grateful, we glory in you in the churches of God that's simply saying that we're bragging on you, we make our boast in you. And he says in verse 3, brethren, as it is meet, we thank God for you always as it is meet. And it means it's fitting, it's deserved. In other words, Paul says we are so grateful for you, we're proud of you, In fact, we're so proud of you that we are regularly speaking about you among other churches, and you deserve it. It's fitting. And we began to highlight the things that Paul was thankful for and bragging on them about. They were a church that was growing in faith in verse 3. We're bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly their conviction of truth that's what that word faith means there their conviction of truth was growing exceedingly it means above or beyond ordinary degree their faith had grown in spite of the persecutions and it was to a degree greater than what paul had even expected and so he's proud of them for that they were an example that he was talking to other churches about in verse the second part of verse Three, he says, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Here was another reason why he was thankful, because they were growing in their love. Every one of you all, he says, the entire church. And it was all the members of the church, apparently. Otherwise, I don't think he would have used that wording. Everyone in the church was growing in their love. Here was a church that was being squeezed, it was being pressed because of trial and persecution, but the thing that was being squeezed out of it 
was a growing faith and a growing love. They were growing in their Christ-likeness. They were maturing as a church. And it is true that trying times will often make or break a person. Trying times can often make or break a church. Sometimes the Lord uses that to purge His church. And many times the Lord uses it to reveal things in people's lives or reveal things in the church. And Paul was proud of them because of how they had endured not only their suffering, but that they were growing in spite of the persecution and the tribulations that they were facing. That's really notable. The second thing that we started looking at then in this passage was that Paul begins to encourage them in their persecution. So not only was he proud of them for their growth, but he wants to encourage them in their persecution. And that was verses 6 through 10. Paul said in verse 6, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And that's a reference back to verse 4 where Paul said that their faith and such was growing in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. So they were definitely going through it. But in order to encourage them to continue to endure, Paul goes on to, uh, to try to encourage them this way, and that was to remind them of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was their hope. And he says in verse 7, And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. And we talked a lot about the main thrust of this was that Paul was encouraging them by trying to tell them the Lord Jesus is keeping track. He knows exactly what's going on. He keeps his word. He's coming again. And he will do exactly as he said he would do. He's faithful. And we talked a lot about the coming of the Lord as well. And when He does, it is going to produce two things. It's going to produce rest for the believers. In verse 10, Paul said, When He shall come to be glorified in His saints, to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. And he says in verse 7, Rest with us besides. But it is also going to produce retribution for the unbeliever. And we talked a lot about that in verses 8 and 9. And so Paul seeks to encourage them to press on with the reminder that Jesus Christ is faithful, that He's going to come, He's going to do just as He said He would do. And not only that, but Paul tries to encourage them with something else. And that's where we got to our text verse, in verse 11, where Paul says, Wherefore also we pray always for you. Notice he says, wherefore also. Paul says, we pray for you because of the persecution and the trial. Not only was he trying to encourage them in their persecutions that they were enduring by reminding them that the Lord is coming again, the Lord is keeping track, but also I want you to know this, that I'm praying for you. And that was the title of this section here is we pray always for you. And I want to continue on along these lines and with these thoughts. 
where Paul says, we pray always for you. But I want to start by just reminding us of something that we talked about last time. Many times our prayers are self-centered prayers, often shallow prayers. The prayers of Christian people so many times are misdirected, very short-sighted, and very selfish. Typically, a Christian might pray for health. They might pray for happiness. They might pray for success. They pray for, for personal benefit. They pray for a lot of temporal things. They might pray for comfort. They might pray for solutions to problems in their life. They might pray for a healed body. They might pray for something that deals with better money or a better job or, or something very temporal. And those are things that make up part of life, certainly. But those were things that were very low on Paul's priority list. None of those things are mentioned in Paul's prayer for these people. Paul says, here's what I'm praying about. Here's what I'm praying for you about. And notice what he says in verse 11. We pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power. Here are the things that Paul was praying for. He wasn't praying for things that people could eat or drink or wear or put on. No, uh, Paul says God can supply all of your, your needs what I'm praying for you about is that we would get on with seeking matters that deal with the kingdom of God and spiritual things. And we said we were going to consider two things from these verses. First of all, the prayer, and then secondly, the purpose. And we're in verse 11, considering the prayer. What is it that he is praying for? And I want to just focus in on one of these here for tonight. And that's the first one, that our God would count you worthy of this calling. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd help me to expound on the Word of God, but Lord, that it would be a challenge and an encouragement to hearts tonight, Lord, to cause us to examine our own life, Lord, that we would have a desire of a heart to walk worthy of our calling. And Lord, what that means, we'll discover here a little more as we unpack this. But Lord, I pray that it would be a challenge to our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So first of all, what is it that Paul prays for? He says, we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling. And we have to ask the question, what calling is he talking about? Well, in the context, it's the context of suffering, certainly. And Paul prayed for them in their sufferings. He didn't pray for them that they would escape their sufferings, but that they would be counted worthy by God in their sufferings. The word counted means to make. The word worthy, it's translated as different words sometimes in the New Testament, and I will take you to some of those in just a little bit. It's translated as other English words. But it means this. It means deemed fit. So Paul says, I'm praying that God would make you or count you worthy or deem you fit 
for this calling. That word calling means an invitation. And they were invited to suffer with Christ. And we are invited ourselves to do the same thing, to suffer for Christ. Often we might pray for deliverance for ourselves in trouble. And naturally we don't, we don't want to run towards hardship. We don't want to embrace hardship in our life. Naturally we don't want hardship. In the flesh we certainly don't want to be counted as a fool for Christ. And so we might pray for deliverance and so on. But Paul didn't pray for their deliverance, only that they would be counted worthy or deemed fit and endure in this. Now, I want to just talk about this a little bit more, because how do we understand this more fully? That they would be counted or made worthy of this calling. And really, what is our calling in the Christian life anyway? Paul says, I'm praying that you would be counted worthy of this calling. We need to understand, first of all, this truth. As a sinner, we are not worthy of anything except for death. That's the only thing that we're really worthy of, is the judgment of God. We are made worthy in the same way that we are declared or made righteous when there is no righteousness in us. Before we're saved, we're unworthy. And when we are saved and we're born again, we become worthy in a positional sense. And what I mean by that is, just as we are declared righteous in the righteousness of Christ, so we become worthy in His In other words... God makes us this way. God makes us worthy when we're unworthy. And He does it by His grace. We didn't earn righteousness. We couldn't earn it. You can't do anything worthy of salvation. You can't do anything worthy enough to earn it. You can't do anything worthy enough to keep it. But God gives us a worthiness in Christ. When He declares you righteous and He clothes you in the righteousness of Christ, that makes you worthy. So, in the position that we occupy before God in Christ, you're worthy. But in the practical sense, Paul says, I am praying that God will make you worthy. In other words... What I'm praying for is that God will help you live up to what has already been done in you. That God will make you worthy. In a positional sense, in Christ we are. But Paul's saying, I'm praying that God would continue this work in you, that He would help you live up to what's already been done in you. An example of this, verse 5. Paul's talking about their persecutions and the tribulations that they endure in verse 4. And he says those persecutions and the tribulations are a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. He says God, through His chastening judgments, through this 
uh, the allowing of persecutions and trials, he's making you worthy of the kingdom for which you are suffering. God wants you to be more worthy. He wants you to be more deserving to bear his name accurately. And he does it sometimes through suffering. God will allow suffering into our lives. Many times to sort of peel away the flesh and cause us to be driven to himself and to bring about more spiritual maturity in our life. And on the positive note here, Paul is praying that God would continue that process however it needs to work. That God would make you worthy of your calling. You already are in position in Christ, but you need to be more of that in practice. So he's praying that these people will walk and live in a manner worthy of the name that they bear. They bear the name of Christ. You know, you have a tremendous responsibility but you also have a tremendous privilege and so do i friend if we bear the name of christ we have the privilege and the responsibility to live in a worthy way to bear his name you know what paul said in romans 2 when he was talking to the jews he said, you guys, you guys live in such a way where you uphold the law and you try to have righteousness through the law and you think that you're better than the Gentiles uh, because they don't have the law or, quote, keep the law. And he says, and yet they have the law of God written in their heart when they do by nature. They do by nature those things contained in the law. And he says, the problem with you Jews is that you don't actually keep the law that you say that you profess to love so much. And the result of that is that the name of God is blasphemed because of your behavior, because of the way you live. How horrible, right? That a child of God's behavior would be such that it would bring shame to the name of Christ. Paul says, I'm praying for you that you'd be counted worthy and that you'd walk worthy of this calling that you have. In fact, there were some in the church in Thessalonica that actually weren't living this way. Go to chapter 3. He says, in chapter 3 and verse 6, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. You have to understand some of those words. The word disorderly, it means out of order. It means unarranged. It also is a word that is translated that means to be insubordinate, and so on. People, there's that you withdraw yourself from a brother 
that walks unarranged and not after the tradition which he received of us. That word tradition is not talking about, you know, something that we've always done, something that we have in place. That word means and is talking about the teaching, the teaching that I've given you, the, the, the teaching from God's word uh, that, that, that you've been instructed in. Not living according to the teaching of God's word that you've been instructed in. You get down to verse 11. He says, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own, bre- uh, eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed." Paul says there's some among you even that aren't walking worthy of the thing that you claim. You bear the name of Christ and you're not living it. And so some in the church, they might have been worthy positionally because they were brothers, they were brethren. In Christ, they were covered with the righteousness of Christ. But in their practical life, they weren't bearing that out. Does that make sense? They weren't living it. And so Paul's prayer is that God would count you or make you worthy or fit for this calling. Now, I want to direct your attention to some other passages of Scripture. And I'm actually almost done here tonight. But here's really the the meat of what I want to get to. I want you to look in Ephesians with me because I want to show you how this same thought is a recurring theme of significance in Paul's writings to the churches. <coughs> in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 1, Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. So Paul says, I'm admonishing, I'm beseeching you, this is important, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. So then he defines it for us in verses 2 and 3. Here's how, or here's what it looks like. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So he says, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. And then he defines it. He says, this is how you walk. This is how you walk. That's a worthy Christian walk. A worthy Christian is humble. He's gentle. He's patient. He's forbearing. He's loving. He seeks after unity in the body. This is how you ought to walk. Walk worthy of this vocation that you're called to. And here's what it looks like. Now go to Philippians chapter 1. So that was to the church in Ephesus. Here to the church in Philippi, Paul writes in verse chapter 1 and verse 27. He says, Only let your conversation, that means lifestyle, be as it becometh, the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, 
that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. What's interesting, or what we need to note here, is that Paul says your lifestyle needs to be as it becometh the gospel. That word becometh is the exact same word that is translated as worthy in these other verses. And what it means is appropriate or worthy of. Your life needs to be appropriate or worthy of the, uh, uh, something that is worthy of the gospel. How is that? Well, he says that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, I need to hear of how you live, and that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. How is a life that is becoming of the gospel? that is worthy or appropriate of it. Well, it's one that stands firm in one's spirit, in mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now go to Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, so he writes to the church in Ephesus, he writes to the church in Philippi, he writes to the church in Colossae, And he says in in verse 10, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering and joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So Paul says to the church in Colossae that my, my, my desire for you is that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, meaning that it pleases God when you walk worthy of Him. How should that be? What should it look like? Well, verse 11 or verse 10 says that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Not only that, but that you would be strengthened with might, according to His glorious power. That strengthening would give you patience, and long-suffering, and joyfulness. And then in verse 12, that you'd be one who gives thanks to the Lord. What is a worthy life? According to these verses, it's a life which pleases the Lord in all respects, in all aspects. It's a life which bears fruit in every good work. It's a life that's increasing in the knowledge of God. That knowledge of God, again, is not head knowledge, but it's experience. A life that's increasing in experience in the knowledge of Christ A life that's strengthened with power. It's a life that's thankful. I read this meme and I thought it was good. Three ways to fail at everything in life. Number one, blame everybody for your problems. Number two, don't take personal responsibility. And number three, don't be grateful or complain all the time. 
That's a great way to fail in life, complaining about everything, not taking personal responsibility for your life, and not being thankful for what God has done in your life. What is a worthy life here? It's a life which is thankful to the Lord. That's a worthy life. A life that is pleasing to God in all respects. It bears fruit. It increases in knowledge. It's strengthened. But now go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And again, we've gone through the book of 1 Thessalonians and we're in the second letter that Paul wrote. But you see, this is a theme that Paul has to the churches, this walking worthy. In chapter 2, in verse 12, Paul says that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. That you'd walk worthy of God who's called you to his kingdom and glory. And how are you to walk? Well, Paul says back in verse 10 that we walk this way. In verse 10, he says, Ye are witnesses. And God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe, as ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. So Paul says, how is that? Well, this is how we walked. In verse 10, devoutly, uprightly, blamelessly. And you know that we've charged you and instructed you that you should walk that way too. So you can see that this is a theme that Paul likes to go back to, this idea of worthiness. And he's saying, I pray that God may increase your worthiness to bear the name of His Son. If you were to look at the New Testament as a whole and you were to sum it up, it would go something like this. And we could look at all the verses that we've just read and many, many more. We don't have the time to do it. But if you take all of this in the New Testament and you sort of sum it up, it would go something like this. A worthy walk is a walk in humility. The Word of God speaks over and over and over and again to be clothed with humility, to have this mind in you, which is in Christ Jesus, one of humility, and all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility because God resists the proud but giveth, giveth grace to the humble. It's a, a worthy walk is a walk in humility. It's a walk in purity of life. It's a walk in contentment in life. It's a walk that is a walk by faith, because without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. It's a walk in righteousness and holiness. It's a walk in unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's a walk in gentleness toward all men. It's a walk in strength and a walk in patience. That's cheerful endurance. It's a walk in love, a walk in joy, a walk in thankfulness to God, a grateful heart. A walk in knowledge that is growing in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's a walk in wisdom and discernment, a walk in truth, a walk in fruitfulness. You could, I'm telling you, 
If you look it all up, you can, you can find in the scriptures that this is a worthy walk. And what does that describe to you and to me? You could sum it all up in this. That is how Christ walked when he walked this earth. That was his life. 1 John 2 and verse 6 says, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked, even as Christ did. This then is what Paul is praying for. That the Lord would help you and make you more worthy of him. How is your life? How do you represent Jesus Christ? You ought to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Amen? Should it not be in our heart Brethren, should it not be in our heart? We may not be perfect at this. We may struggle with this. But should it not be in our heart to accurately reflect Jesus Christ and to live like Him? Hey, that's going to govern a lot about what I do and how I live. And he's given us the tools and the resources, amen, Amen. to do it. Stick by this book. It's going to produce that purity in our life. And I think I just, I I don't even even know how to put this. I don't even know how to put this. How I feel inside, okay? I don't exactly know how to put it. But other than something other than this, there ought to be something inside that is so compelling. Do you understand what I mean? A love for Him, a love for the Lord, something so compelling in me. That even though I'm not perfect, listen, that desire is there and I'm asking the Lord to help me with that. And there's not a time, there should not be a time when I'm, when I'm okay or content with where I'm at in my spiritual life. There should not be a time when I'm just like, well, that's just me. That's just my personality. That's who I am. No, there, it ought to be like, Lord, Lord, make me like Christ, the perfect one. Who has the perfect personality. Change me. I love him so much. I love him so much that I don't want to live in a way that is going to bring shame to him or the things that he loves. Maybe that's it right there. Can you say that? Can you, can you feel that? May the Lord help us. And Paul says, I'm praying for you that you'd walk worthy of this calling, that Lord would make you fit. Positionally, it's as if we've never sinned. We have the righteousness of Christ, positionally. But we need more of that practically, amen, as we walk day by day. Next time, we're going to talk about 
the next thing. Maybe we'll co cover them both. That the prayer of Paul was that God would fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness in them. And that also that there would be a work of faith with power. That's the prayer that Paul had for his people. And maybe that's the kind of prayer that we should have and want for ourselves too. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd drive the Scriptures home in our heart. We look back and examine the kinds of things that Paul said were a worthy walk. Lord, may we have the heart desire that you would produce those things in us. That you would make us and count us worthy. As we yield to the Spirit of God, <coughs> as the Spirit of God produces Christ-likeness in us, may we cooperate with that work. And Lord, I pray that you'd Help us, Lord, to think on our own life and, Lord, have the true heart desire. Lord, I, I, I just, there are definitely things I struggle with, but I want to gain victory and I want my life to be pleasing to you and my life to reflect Christ. I don't ever want to bring shame to his name. And we war in this flesh. The flesh wants nothing more than to gratify itself. But may there be something more powerful than that in us. And that's our love for Christ. That we would deny ourselves and deny our flesh for a much higher and worthy purpose, and that is Christ. We love you tonight, and so thankful, Lord, for the work of sanctification that you do in our life. May we submit to it. In Jesus' name, amen.